Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And, as you know, we have uh, Lady Hyde out streaming right now, so check that out on Tubi. And uh, Mom Itu, and it's coming soon to Nuclear Home Video, coming soon to Amazon Prime Video, and coming so- and playing also on uh, one more, too. So check it out. You'll find it anywhere, streaming services. And also, uh, get these out of the way real quick before we start with the show. There's a donation button on the Red Circle page. If you care to sponsor the podcast or do a one-time or reoccurring donation, please feel free to. Um, if you like the show, please subscribe to it. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music. We are on Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and many more of your favorite listening platforms. Uh, if you d- dig the show, you can always download the episodes. Feel free. Uh, if you also like the show, tell a friend. Tell a friend about uh, Frank Observer Podcast, about Desperate Visions, Lady Hyde, Emmanuel in Sin City, uh, any of my films through Desperate Visions Productions. Word of mouth is always the best advertisement there is, especially positive. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, send us an email or ask us any questions or suggestions or anything, you can. Please feel free to. You can reach me at uh, francoobserver at yahoo.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-O-O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R, one word, francoobserver, at yahoo.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We have the Franco Observer Podcast pages, and uh, you can check us out there and keep up to date on all the daily travels of the Franco Observer Podcast and Desperate Visions and Jason Rudy. So, all right, now we are here on to uh, episode 128, film 133, Quanto Cobra und Espia, also known as How Much for a Spy. Spain, 1984. Uh, this is Jess Franco's production company, Manicoa Films, out of Madrid, Spain. And once again, we get all information from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2, by Stephen Thrower. Uh, okay, so Manicoa Films, uh, theatrical distributor, Cinema International Corporation. This and the next film, um, um, what was it? Uh, Falpain Casablanca has the same... Uh, Company, Manicoa and Cinema International Corporation. Uh, timeline, shooting circa January 84. So he shot this right before foul play in Casablanca. Uh, legal number, March 21st, 84. Uh, played Madrid, May 28th, 84. Then played Seville, September 19th, 84. Finally, Barcelona, October 22nd, 1984. Um, this was, of course, made in Spain. So the theatrical running time, 86 minutes and was put out on VHS by Malibu Video, uh, the PAL version of VHS. Um, muse, let's see where we at here. Uh, okay, so writer-director, of course, Jess Franco. Director of photography, Juan Solar Cozar. Camera assistant, Francisco Berngola. Production manager, Antonio Mayans as Jay Mayans. Makeup, Antonio's wife, Juana de Le Moreno. Uh, art director, Carlos Spitzer. Um, assistant director, Lena Romay as Rosa Amaril. Um, let's see. What we got here? Uh, sound, okay, uncredited. Okay, um, uncredited camera operator, Jess Franco. Editor, Jess Franco. So he's writer, director, camera operator, and editor. So I have four out of five. He's everything but director of photography. 
All right, cast Awan Solar Kozar in the lead as Juan Kozar plays the character of Juan. Lena Romay plays the character of Anna. Emilio Lender plays Albert. Alicia Principe. Oh, nice, she's in it. Uh, plays Carla. Eva Leon plays Countess Irene von Karnstein. It's a familiar last name there. Antonio Mayans plays Prince Albino Redetti. Nelia Iveras plays Marga the Jogger. Carlos Isabert plays Ahmed. An uncredited little Flavia Mayans plays the child-throwing confetti at the married couple. And Ivana Mayans plays the child-throwing confetti at the married couple. All right. Um, some of the synopsis from him. I'm going to go to the uh, synopsis from uh, EuroTrashCinema.com. Uh, the DVD-R I got from the much-missed company that uh, the owner passed away, and uh, fortunately, all that content is now... Who knows what's going to happen with that site, but it was a great site, uh, EuroTrashCinema.com, uh, made by... Uh, it was headed by one of the former people from Video Search in Miami, so all you collectors like myself remember that those was a huge company back in, they would call, the day. Uh, okay, so they have here, um, as their synopsis, um, Lena and her dorky new husband are on their honeymoon at a Spanish resort and unfortunately pick up two hitchhikers, who are really spies, that hide secret microfilm in their car. And then, of course, lots of different parties are trying to get their hands on the microfilm and lots of silly slapstick situations as a result. That's even better to <laughs> have a synopsis than Thrower does. Thrower is a smaller, a little bigger one. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. A tight, I'm sorry, off from the beginning. A light and sunny comedy thriller. Uh, Canta Cobra Onespia stars Lena Romay and Juan Solar as a newlywed couple. Anna and Juan beset on all sides by spies looking for secret audio recordings which has been hidden in their luggage. The neurotic Anna is convinced that her hubby, a dorkish composer of music concrete, is about to be seduced by other women wherever they go a delusion in which the persistent attention of two female spies does nothing to Assange. The plot then ambles good-naturedly through a succession of farcical setups as two pairs of comedy crooks and a mystery actress visiting the region disrupt the couple's honeymoon in their search for the missing MacGuffin. Even by the gentlest of critical standards, this Manicoa production is as the feather light end of the scale. A general air of fooling around and holiday high spirits make it a cheerful and pleasant a film as Franco ever concocted. Whether the effervescence of the project translates into genuine comedy fizz, however, depends on how much of Lino Romay's rather shrill, jealous wife routine you can handle. As in El Hotel de la Luengas and Sangre en Mi Zapatos, um, Romay is playing a chatty bimbo whose bubble-headed naivete is supposed to be comical, and, as in those earlier films, she turns in a dubbing performance that grates even more than her cutesy mannerisms. Romay's true talent lies in the darker and sexier regions in Franco cinema. She was peerlessly strange and unnerving in films like Female Vampire, 73, Hot Nights of Linda, 73, Lorna the Exorcist, 74, and... Dimarkiv on Saad, 75. And other films, too, I'd say. Um, but here, like so many actors who yearn to stretch their wings and prove themselves as comedic talents, she steps beyond her limits and ends up simply annoying. Ava Leon, on the other hand, is genuinely funny as the hard-faced Germanic spy who rules her R's so hard she sounds like a demented road drill. 
and Antonio Mayans plays the greasy, sleazy playboy on the hilt, crafting for the scene a predatory shark who would not have been out of place alongside Steve Martin and Michael Caine in the French Riviera comedy Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, 1988. Nice. Uh, the star of How Much for a Spy is Juan Solar, whose lighting skills and behind-the-camera technical advice helped Franco to achieve the clean, colorful appearance he was looking for throughout the golden films period. Solar took numerous supporting roles in films such as Oasis of the Zombies, El Hotel, El Hotel de la Lengues, Sangre Mes de Pitos, Las Chicas de Tenga, Luego Sucio de Casablanca, and Bahia Blanca. But Cobra was his only lead part. He is, in fact, very relaxed and easygoing in the film, and has no trouble at all delivering what's required. For much of the time, it's his job to play a straight man to Romé's paranoia, which he achieves with a plum and some eye-rolling close-ups to indicate the character's long-suffering irritation in the face of Anna's hysteria. The secret information which everyone is striving to obtain turns out to be a 14th century Muslim potion designed to cause an especially ghastly sort of death, as the secret agents in the hidden tape recording reveals. Um, according to the unfortunate fellow, two milligrams of the substance would be enough to poison the whole of the West. What a climax that would have been. The question of who is really a spy is evidently answered, but it exceeds the bounds of necessity for me to reveal the answer here. If you're going to watch the film, you'll need to know all the surprises the paper-thin story can muster. Good. All right, Franco on screen. Franco does not appear, but he provides the voice for Carlos Ibert's character. In an interview published in Volume 1, Franco declares that one of the films from this period that I prefer because I think it's very funny. Alright, music. After a title theme that sounds like it was written for an afternoon TV game show, Fernando Garcia Murciano's bland, middle-of-the-road jazz bubbles along for the duration of the film like Muzak in a casino elevator with no attempt to made to synchronize it with the changing fortunes of the character. Daniel White's sweet and melancholic theme from Lily and the Virgin Perverted pops up unexpectedly like a ghost from another world during a scene in which the Germanic Countess Irene von Karnstein plays guitar and sings to Juan after dinner at her posh chateau. Uh, Juan Solar's character is a modernist composer whose recent work, Mariposa II, is a dark and foreboding slice of musique concrete, allegedly based on the electronically treated sounds of insects and birds. Mariposa means butterfly which brings to mind that Trevor Weishart's groundbreaking and other disturbing music concrete masterpiece, Red Bird, A Political Prisoner's Dream, recorded in 1978. Locations. Shot in Banacasim, sometimes uh, in the province of Lencia, in and around the glamorous Hotel Orange, with extra material in Castellón and Madrid. The climax of the film takes place at the Convento Carmelita, a ruined Trinidarian Covenant outside Benacassim, which they used in many films before. Uh, connection. I want to go to Caracuas, says Anna, because that painter with the mustache drives me crazy. She is, of course, referring to Salvador Dali, who lived in the, the seaside villa with, in Port Legat, near Caracuas. When Anna becomes jealous of her husband's encounter with the jogger, she hysterically accuses him of being Casanova, Landru, Travolta, <laughs> in between the famous Italian womanizer and the disco-dancing Scientologist, is the Parisian serial killer Henri Désert Landru, 1869-1922, who, between 1915 and 1919, murdered a string of wealthy widows for their money. 
The Landrieu case was the basis of two films, no doubt, well known to Franco, Charles, Charlie Chaplin's Monsieur Verdun, 1947, and Claude Chabron's Landrieu, 1962. Like uh, Blood on His Shoes, made just a few months earlier, Quattro Cobra and Spy ends with Lena Romay and Mayans tangled up in a shootout between spies at a ruined church or monastery. Uh, okay, that's all I've got written on this, so yeah, that's a little shorter part. Some of these films, there's like three or four pages to read, and some's about a page, page and a half. That's right around that earlier part, about a page and a half, so. Alright, that's going to be a quicker thing. Looks like a quicker film, so um, quicker picker-upper. That should be it. Um, so yeah, I'm recording this half first. I have yet to watch the film, so I'm not sure if it's going to be a single review by yourself. By yourself. <laughs> by yours truly, me, or uh, if it's going to be joined by a guest reviewer, I'm not sure at this time, so you'll be as surprised as me. So listen, pass the break, and you'll hear the review for How Much is a Spy? Hey, all right, we are back for episode 128, film 133. How much, let's see, it's actually, it's really called, How Much Does a Spy Charge? Um, Quanto Cobra on Espia. And um, today, as a guest reviewer, I have another first-time Franco viewer, which is always fun showing a first-timer a Franco film. And even though this is um, maybe not the best example of a just Franco film, it was still a, a fun film to watch. And today we have guest reviewer, Miss Bobby DeLeon. How are you today, Bobby? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming over and uh, checking out this film. Um... So Franco made a lot of different films, and I kind of gave you a brief rundown of all the stuff he did and, like, how many movies he made a year and, and is known for his nudity and his content and all that stuff. And this film didn't really have a lot of the stuff that made Franco such an unusual person. But as a fellow filmmaker, I like to show people his films to show how you can do something on a really cheap budget. And if you think about it, this is basically, like, six people and a hotel, and a cassette deck, and a cassette tape, and really not much else, and just a script. And you could go out and make a movie, and maybe a car, one one car, you know, or no, two cars, I'm sorry, and a couple fake guns, you know, and you can make a movie. Yeah, I, I mean, as an amateur filmmaker, you know, just getting into the industry and stuff, that's pretty much what it is, to kind of get people together and with the budget we have which yeah. i guess technically is no budget at all right <laughs> um, and i don't know she just make something and yeah it's it's really great that he made so many films uh well you said this was like number this 133 is, yeah film 133 so he's made 133 films and like mm-hmm. nobody and, and he still had like another 40 something to go after this so it's crazy but it's like by this time, so many he's passed so many other filmmakers where you make 30, 40 films, you look like you're a, a legend, and he made already 133. And there's like maybe 15 or 20 themes he has or stories, and then he makes like 
a lot of different movies based off of these certain things. Like this mm-hmm. film, for example, has been done a few times before under different titles and the same theme of where there's a couple goes to a hotel and there's a lot of mix up with other people and it's a comedy usually and there's uh, sex going on or a, a fake where they think things are going on and they're not going on and then all the mistaken identity and, and so he's used that a few times and this was one of the genres where he repeated that but mixed in the spy stuff and a few other stuff with that you know yeah um, normally I'm I'm pretty good at like analyzing a film and being able to know like where it's going towards yeah. the end but on on top of not looking into any of these films uh, so that I had no idea what to expect. Right. Um, I pretty much spent the entire movie like questioning where the hell is this going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is even happening? Because um, it just, it's just constantly just one thing after the other, just yeah. constantly changing direction. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to basically give the, the basic synopsis of it and then we'll kind of go, go from it from there. Um, but, uh, cause a lot of times it's overwritten in here, but this is actually a good, uh, crystallized view of it here. So, um, this says, um, newlyweds Juan and Anna are on their way to their honeymoon hotel in the seaside resort of Benicassum, where Juan, a composer, hopes to premiere a new composition at a music festival. En route, they pick up two hitchhikers, Albert and Carla. Juan's car breaks down, and while Anna and Juan walk to a nearby garage to fetch water for the radiator, their passengers are actually two spies on the run, and they hide a microfilm in the car. When Juan and Anna return, their passengers have disappeared. Later at the hotel, Albert and Marja pop up once again and try to retrieve the microfilm. The married couple find themselves not only besieged by the attentions of Albert and Marja, but also several other interested parties, including the stern Germanic. Irina von Karlstein, her Argentinian playboy lover, Prince Albino Redetti, and Carla, a jogger who is not as sweet and innocent as she seems. So yeah, that's the players in this film. Um, yeah, so I guess Irina is German, even though she says she's Albanian and, and other things. She kind of jumps around a little bit. I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on like how old she is yeah and and stuff in those regions changing i don't know yeah um this is probably gonna age me a bit um in the opposite direction um but when they were putting that tape in his wallet yeah in the in the beginning like i didn't know what it was i was like i don't know what they're putting in there i don't know what that is is it a condom that kind of looks like a condom (laughs) yeah I, i know well it was funny because because they have a cassette tape later that's a standard cassette tape and you know what a cassette tape is correct? well yeah well even yeah. then that looked a little small and i don't know if it's just because like it's europe so maybe they just had different things but also this movie is what in the 80s yeah it was made in i wasn't 84. even alive yeah. so <laughs> i well. don't really know what was going on then <laughs> yeah no it's funny because yeah the thing they put in there almost looked like a like a little mini disc or something the first the mariposa tape that that was that they shoved yeah. inside that box i mean it looked like it was the size of a condom like you'd mentioned yeah it was just so bigger small than a matchbook so that's not a cassette tape size you know that's that's the part that was kind of odd but that's a think of franco thing too it's supposed to be 
they shove it in and you don't see it. So it's pro- he should have probably used a real cassette, but maybe for budgetary reasons, he just had some square box that he said, oh, this is the tape and put it in there mm-hmm. or, or whatever, you know. Um, it's more the MacGuffin, you know, where it's like the Hitchcock thing of it's the thing everybody wants in the film that they're all about to get, but it really doesn't mean a lot. It's everything around that's more important than what this thing actually is, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, which is funny, the MacGuffin in this is the Mariposa 2, which is a virus that uh, basically would give the world super diarrhea, which was pretty mm-hmm. funny when we learn what it is that they're looking for. But, uh, yeah, so um, Lena is, of course, uh, the lead in this uh, with Juan Kosar and Lena. <clears throat> and this one plays very ditzy. And uh, so this is your first time seeing Lena, and I know her voice was a little bit grating her character. Uh, what was your what, it, what was your views on Lena as a first-time viewer? Not knowing um, having Having to get past the like the voice over audio yeah, uh, yeah. because I, I think that really uh, affected uh, a lot of the, the dialogue and, uh-huh. and how it's um, digested <laughs> um, her, her giggling, her giggling really just rubs me the wrong way. Uh-huh. Um, but I was, I was thinking how she reminded me of, um, Rosemary from Rosemary's Baby. Wow. Okay. Um, interesting. Ro- Roman Polanski. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Cause um, we talked about young couples and that's kind of the theme of that movie, yeah. you know? Well, and specifically it was the way that she acts and the way that she dresses. It's very childlike and innocent. And I mean, also they're newlyweds. Yeah. So, right. It's virginal um, and everything. And right, yeah. right, right. But, when she gets dressed for bed and is ready to have sex, she's dressed in a sheer red nightgown. Mm-hmm. And when she goes to leave to go attempt to hook up with the um, Argentinian guy, yeah. um, she puts on a very sexy outfit, and that is very like maturing oh interesting good um, call yeah i didn't catch that. that yeah yeah that's a good character progression most definitely yeah because yeah. she did, plays the little yeah the little, little, but little stuff. once they kind of get over that whole moment of like she just wants to have sex and he's not having sex with her and she's just so annoyed with this right um and then they're swept back up by the plot and she just kind of goes back into her her childlike i'm still a virgin presumably (laughs) Um, and she's swept along along this voyage of this things that happen and she's just kind of a a passenger like you're talking about you know yeah yeah no that that's interesting i i I didn't really catch that because to me i was seeing her as very sexy and playful but yeah but she's very childlike like you're talking about her little voice and little oh baby paquito and all that her her little name for him was Chirito or something like that where she just kept going she's like don't call me that in public and she just kept almost like <laughs> yeah. motherling at first because she's almost a motherly but then a very baby as well she was like almost playing both sides of like oh you're my little pet toy and you're my little thing but then she was also very under him as well you know well yeah she's she's very much the assertive one in the relationship yeah. and she comments like a couple of times about what men are like yeah, right. And she was like, oh, men are always so shy. And 
I, I thought that was interesting because, like, I don't think that's a description that would be used here in America. Right, right, right. <laughs> that was very true. Yeah. And then she mentions and then she, like, uses the name of uh, John Travolta and, like, two other names. And she's like, oh, you're just like this. And one of the guys she mentions is this, like, famous murderer from the <laughs> 50s. And, and he's like, and that's why she says, you have the murderer's eyes. Which is funny because she says he has a murderer's eyes and he's an Interpol agent, <laughs> we learn later on. So he probably did kill people. So she was right to yeah. say he had murderer's eyes because... She thought of him as this, like, simpish music composer, very, you know, which is very nerdy. And then in the end, he's like this Interpol agent yeah. that's done some stuff. But, which is funny, when you go back to that, is when we were watching this, I almost saw it in the beginning as, like, uh, I had mentioned to you, like, Jess Franco is the as the man and Lena is his wife. And in reality, he's this kind of nerdy filmmaker and a mm. musician and he's doing his little thing and Lena's right by him by his side and kissing him and oh my baby and all that stuff and, and being with him and he's like trying to go out and make his movie and then he's taking these gifts these rich people are giving him trying to get him drunk and taking their wine and, and being that and like people are trying to break him apart with him and Lena and he's like no it's okay and they trust each other and it goes back and forth and it's almost this tale of a couple kind of making a movie as well or kind of something like another chapter mm -hmm. of their life or like a typical summer or something you know and they're going on a vacation and all this shit happens and stuff and stuff so i kind of saw it as that little fun little thing as well you know yeah oh my gosh it it was a bit frustrating to just kind of see how much of a pushover he was yeah and i'm like all of this stuff keeps happening because you're not like just standing up for yourself yeah, exactly. and this is like causing issues like with your wife and like and like and you don't even care <laughs> and like and at the point where like she's threatening to leave and he's like well all right if you want and i'm just like she should leave she should just leave yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it, but instead she's like well now i'm staying and i'm like uh, yeah because she's almost like uh, well you well we didn't have sex so that means we're not married yet so it doesn't mean it's consummated so this and that oh okay so so now i'm gonna stay now because i'm gonna get you and blah 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 now we're right. gonna have sex because now you gotta pay and it's like right it's funny. well she keeps it flipping was it back and forth on yeah him. it was definitely like like um i don't know something i've been actually look, looking at reading a lot on mm -hmm. lately is like um toxic narcissistic relationships with people and and how they kind of like keep the control and i'm like this is hitting heavy That's on cool. that and like the situation of like you need to get out and it was just kind of like stuff from both of them that i'm like yeah this relationship's not gonna work out um, <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it from that perspective um, as well. No, most definitely, I totally see that now. Yeah, well, and like his, um, their back and forth in in that scene was pretty much like they're trying to call each other's bluff, right? And in the end, he won. He won that. He called her bluff. She didn't leave. Yeah, but then, was... but then, did she really? make it up or is that part of the game and it's always like a game right. with those two and you don't know All right because she keeps playing the game you she know? keeps getting upset right and then throwing her little tantrum and trying to get his attention and it's not really working sort of because i mean i guess he does get jealous a couple of times which i think is completely hypocritical because he's just been having these chicks like kiss him and all yeah. over him and oh, she's yeah, getting totally. upset about it and like he's just completely like 
Yeah, and he's going along with it. He's not like saying, "Hey, no, man, I love her, and I got to be with her." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, okay." Yeah, 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 exactly. Like he's not he's not acknowledging like how she's feeling, and I I think that like I think it says a lot about like masculinity. Yeah, yeah, because you have a lot of different forms of quote unquote masculinity in this film. You have. Antonio Mayans is playing the kind of Argentina lover where he's very cliched and he's telling Lena only the things she wants to hear and all bullshit things. Oh, yeah. oh you're the gleam of the stars. I mean, I would have fell for it. I would yeah. have just been and like, yeah, cool. I'm with you now. So you have that. And then you have the, the husband who's totally indifferent to her, very cold, but still a very truthful person. She thinks and he's of what he is and who he says he is, even though he's not. Then you have the other guy who's the Arab guy, I guess, the guy with the striped thing that's running around and trying to buy the car. And, oh, yeah, because they say they don't speak Arabic to him at one yeah, point. Yeah, which is just freaking yeah. dubbing that guy. So you have that guy, <laughs> and then you have maybe the um, you have the guy that works the front counter. So when their car's stolen, he goes, well, we don't get mm-hmm. in people's affairs. He's very cold. He's just like, oh, this is how right. it is, and, and I'm not going to help you, but here's the information. Well, yeah, well, that's that's definitely, I think, a huge cultural thing. Um, right. Because, like, I don't know. I think Americans are kind of nosy. Whereas, yeah. like, over in Europe, they just kind of, like, mind their own business uh-huh. a lot. <laughs> um, so it's just kind of like, hey, like, car's been stolen i think it's weird that they even told them that their car was stolen and i think they it was just kind of a like a ruse phone call just to Could get be. them out of the room that's a good call where the guy steals a car and they come back yeah because yeah, it's when they went like, jog or uh, yeah right right yeah like if it was the um argentinian guy if it was him who called the room to get them out of the room so that Irina can get out. Oh, and that's true. In. Yeah, because she was under the bed right. in that scene. Yeah, okay. and then that when they try to ask more information, he's like, "I don't have any more information. I was just trying to get you out." No, of that's a good call. Yeah, I was thinking it was <laughs> that guy, but yeah, no, that actually makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, either that or the hotel concierge is in on it. I don't, I don't know. Right, or he's just, <laughs> "Oh, by the way, your car's here. Okay, yeah. your car's gone. Okay, here it is. Okay, you know, it's like I don't give a shit about it." But yeah, so that's funny. Um, so Lena always changes a lot, and and I always um, remarked in this film. I liked her hair. I don't know if she's wearing a wig or what. I'm pretty sure, and her glasses. She never really wears glasses a lot, so it's mm-hmm. cool to see her kind of meekish because Lena's usually very like a sex goddess, and she's just so all over the place. And here she's just like ah, you know, but but you could tell she had that sex goddess bubbling under that she kept wanting it to come out. You know. Yeah, yeah. That was that was definitely apparent. Like once she got into that that red nightgown yeah yeah she's like she was ready to yeah. be sexy and make love to her new husband and didn't get to uh yeah yeah i know that was her yeah, whole thing so um, it's like people that know lena you're like oh here she's the sex goddess and she can't even consummate this marriage she's like Ooh, all frustrated and stuff it was so funny i think she could have tried harder to wake him up yeah um, i think so too I definitely would have, like, I don't know, probably pulled him out of the bed to wake him up. Um, yeah. Well, she was getting ready to go down on him, and then, like, the, somebody knocked on the door or something that happened. That, too. Was, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't let that stop me. I'm like, who the heck is knocking I know. on my door? I'm not expecting any guests. Who's calling me? I don't care. 
Yeah. They'll come back if it's an emergency. I think that was the scene, too, where they were hiding under the sheet or whatever when those people yeah. were in the room, which is like, what oh, the fuck? Man. Yeah, and they just sit there and watch these people coming to the room, rifle through their things as they hide under a blanket and, like, shake. It's like, get up and say something or turn the lights or make a noise uh, like you had said or something. something. And the fact that they weren't even noticed in the bed. Oh, I know. So which stupid. was also just so <laughs> Yeah, so I know. They were, like, shaking under the thing. It's like, come oh, on. It's so funny. Um, like, how'd they get into the room? They just opened the door. They just... <laughs> yeah, the door they just, wasn't locked. They didn't lock their door? <laughs> no, or they jimmied it in or something, They, you know, which which was funny. Um, so, yeah, so we have all these people. You have um, uh, the um, that couple um, was um, Alicia Principe and um, uh, he is... Uh, Emilio Linder. So those two were a couple in real life, and she was in The Sexual Story of O, and I had mentioned that they started doing other films together for other directors, but he was kind of a control of guy where they always acted together in films, and he just wanted to be around her all the time. Which Wait, you said his name was Emilio? Emilio Linder, yeah. <laughs> Emilio! The blonde guy. And then you have um, Elisa Principe was her, and then um, Eva Leon um, was the blonde lady. She played Countess Irina von Karnstein. Oh, man. We almost have the same last name. Oh, yeah, there you go. I think I can catch that, yeah. De Leon. Um, and it's, so it's funny. Leon. So we laughed at that because Lena calls her Lady Dracula, and she plays Countess Irina, and Countess Irina was Lena Romay's role in Female Vampire. Um, so it's funny, and they kept talking. And then when she dies, she, like, kills herself with a smoke bomb, and she kind of vanishes like a <laughs> vampire, which was kind of cool. And, okay, now, let's... let's smoke bomb. Let's talk about her dubbing. Oh, gosh, the... The rolling of the R's were just like, yeah. I'm like, why are you rolling your R's so much like that? I know she was doing it like in a Germanic rolling out well, with in Spanish pronunciations. It was funny. It was a weird mix, and and I yeah. think she dubbed it later, like we talked about doing the ADR later, either by her or another actress, because yeah. Of course, we were not looking at the subtitles, but just watching the the lips match with the with the with the original. Spanish <laughs> yeah. dialogue and it wasn't Lips matching, don't you know. Match. Yeah, big time. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I guess it doesn't help that, like, I mean, I don't know what her voice sounds like. Right. I don't know what her voice sounds like in the other films, like, <laughs> um, but it definitely sounded a little weird. Yeah. I guess. Oh, it was big time. Yeah, it was yeah. almost like played up to a comical effect almost, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, Juan Solar Cozar, of course, is the lead. As plays Juan, and Lena plays Anna. And uh, we talked about Emilio Lindern and Lisa Prince Pei and uh, Eva Leone. And, of course, um, Antonio Mayans is great in here as Prince Albino Radetti. He plays it very comical, like the Latin lover. He's like the yeah. Argentina playboy. He's It's funny for, to see him playing this up. He's almost playing a parody of himself or of the roles he plays so it's funny you seeing the first time like oh yeah this guy is uh kind of like antonio banderas and this was a good yeah. role to see him because he's got that hair all down and the mustache and his clothes he was wearing this cool like black leather thing on one thing with his yeah. kerchief and i was like fucking cool dude <laughs> so yeah he was he was he was cool in this i liked him a lot yeah his uh Tango was kind of bad, but <laughs> yeah, real stiff I mean, like a robot. She's just kind of like he held her close and then just kind of like wiggled her around a lot, <laughs> um, and they just danced in a circle. <laughs> they didn't actually like go anywhere. I thought that was kind of kind of funny. Also, kind of cute. I don't know. It was almost like 
a wholesome tango. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's almost doing it funny, and they're doing it in a comical effect where they're real stiff with it. And and there's a part that's funny when they're doing a tango, and and they're of course have their dialogue switched, and she he's asking her what's the first line of the tape and what's the first sound on this Mariposa tape, and she's thinking it's her husband's really avant-garde fucking noise album or whatever and so his first thing is she screams real hard in his ear in his face he's like selling it comical and it's kind of, kind of funny you know real dumb <laughs> it's the birth of dubstep <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> um and it's funny too because uh, i was telling you beforehand about kind of the family atmosphere of the film of mm-hmm. antonio mayans he is the production manager at the films and he's a lead or usually a uh, um, support and then of course Lena um, is um, Franco's wife at the time and of course she does the lead or she'll do assistant directing or whatever and then of course Franco does all the behind the camera stuff and so it's usually those three are the core and then you'll have a few other people will join them for a certain amount of films and then more people will come in and out and then you have a lot of the core and like I noticed a lot of these people here were in other films maybe mm-hmm. not the one before but maybe like two or three before and one was from four before you just kind of take people as you go and bring people in and bring people out or who's available or what the budget is or if they're in the area or whatever but uh no and it's cool too because like watching this as an independent filmmaker you could see what you can do with that budget and if you have good um surroundings and with franco he has really cool environments like he shot on the hotel and that's maybe not the most interesting thing but it fit for people going in and out of areas and you can have a it's a good location to have an area where people can disappear or, or go in and out of rooms and it's not crowded because you have all these floors. So that makes sense. And maybe it's yeah. not the most interesting, but you leave that location for that cool uh, off by the sea or that cool kind of cavern area that you shot in toward the end and, and those areas where it makes your film look better, you know, as well. And that saves it a lot too when things get kind of boring or whatever. You kind of mix it up a little bit. Well, yeah, because well, even with the um, the the mansion... Albino's mansion. Yeah, yeah. Um, you literally only see the front porch of it. Yeah, and that's it. That's all they film on. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and it's a lovely scene. I that shot is just so nice. The the initial one where they introduce it. Yeah, as where a she's location. playing guitar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like just that pan with the lighting and the whole the whole setup of the composition of that shot is just really nice it's probably my favorite for the whole whole film yeah it says uh, location shot in Benicassum sometimes spelled Benicassum in the province of Valencia in and around the glamorous Hotel Orange that's the main location with extra material shot in Castellon and Madrid the climax of the film takes place at the Covento Carmelita Arund Arund Trinitarian um, convent outside Minicossum. So, yeah, that's where that area is. But, uh, yeah, and you recognize that in um, Drisklaven. Mm-hmm. He used that and in a few other films, that, that shooting area right there. But, uh, yeah, and I like that Lena wore the black um, bathing suit as the lady with the rifle. Yeah, so so that actually reminded me of um, the um, the paradigm of, like, the Virgin Madonna and... Um, uh, I'm totally blanking on it, um, but you know, effectively the dichotomy, dichotomy Lena 
uh, plays the the virgin, innocent main character girl who never has sex. She has lighter hair, even, which is right. typically the way they would show them. Um, and um, the femme fatale has dark hair. She's sexy. She's just... You know, she's hardly clothed throughout the whole freaking movie that you see her. Right. <laughs> and, like, she's just trying to, like, steal her husband away. Yeah, I and guess. you don't know like, who she is because at first she's on the beach yeah. and she's, like, this jogger. And then she comes in and they're doing, like, this fake photo shoot, which I mentioned that Lena kind of plays that role in other movies where she's the glamorous movie star and she's here out of town. And so mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on and they're doing this, like, photo shoot just to, like, which makes no sense in the movie. I guess they're just trying to stall for time just oh do the scene where they're taking yeah. a picture and goofing around and it looks good and we'll just do this and, and it's funny too because during those scenes a lot i'd point out to you how he shot on location and there's mm-hmm. people in the background just watching the movie getting filmed and they're like they're just clapping staring and, awkwardly like this could have been like one of those weird like body snatcher movies and that could have been used yeah <laughs> that's funny <laughs> everyone just sitting there staring in the direction of the camera yeah and, of course, as a filmmaker, you watch it, and you can just that's all you see is everybody looking. You, you know, but if you're watching a movie, you might not notice that's it. That's the best part. The best part is notice, noticing that weird stuff in the background yeah, and yeah. things that got missed while you were shooting because you're so focused on the action, yeah. which, I mean, you're hoping that the people are focused on the action, um, which I guess most people will. Yeah, be. most people don't catch it as, as you or I do because you look at it over and over and over again so right. many times and maybe the people don't see it the first right. time. It's, you know. it's the people that are really into film that are yeah. looking at every inch of that screen to just capture every every tiny oh, yeah. thing about it. <laughs> um, and, and, and I totally do that. When I watch films, like in the films, I'll, I'll fucking look at all the, you know, I'm, I'm watching the people talk, but I'm looking in the background in the windows of places and things on the table i'm always looking at just little intricate things all around us that's just kind of how my brain works i'm always viewing everything i can you know all right because like there's there's so many different stories being told either intentionally or unintentionally and i like to be like okay this is what the movie is telling me of the story that they're making but then there's so many other things to look at like this is the story of how this thing was filmed yeah Plus, as a viewer and as a filmmaker, I always say you only worry about, like, as when you're pointing a camera, you only worry about what's in that square. and You're not worried about anything that's not seen. So as a viewer, I'm always looking at what what is being shown to me, whether it's, you know, intentional or unintentional with a blooper or people staring at the camera or whatever, you know. Um, still focus on those things. So, yeah, definitely that's a thing to think of, too, is when you're mm-hmm. filming your setup to make sure you control everything in the scene if you want or if you have that luxury. But with Franco, he's shooting without a permit, shooting just a few takes and just running a gun and doing guerrilla stuff, knocking these films out real fast. So he's not really paying attention to a lot of that stuff or it doesn't matter. And which is cool. A lot of the freeing stuff that I mentioned with him that makes me excited is to be free yourself of those things. And I don't know, maybe it's sloppy, maybe it's not caring or maybe it's just being above it where you don't who gives a shit if yeah. oh that guy in the background is looking at the camera whatever I'm not going to sit there and pull my hair out up uh, yeah. over it you know and that's a good way to think too not be so oh my god my film's ruined and be upset over little nitpicky shit too you know so that's mm. that's always a good way to kind of not worry about stuff as well um oh yeah okay so one thing I thought was funny um uh I'm trying to pick up a few little things I thought um I'm actually bring that up under a different part um yeah, that was funny. One thing I want to bring up again is that uh, Mariposa virus, where 
they talk about how uh, it gets super. The world's going to get super diarrhea, and Lena's like, "I don't want to have diarrhea," and like she's always just worried about herself, like, "Oh, yuck," you know. But uh, that was pretty funny. Um, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and knock out the Franco list. Uh, okay. Go through things that I noticed that were on the film or not on the film. Actually, in this period of Franco's uh, deal, he's not really hitting a lot of the list, so uh, kind of a drag on a few. But we'll go through it. Uh, number one, body of water. Yes, we see a body of water right in the very beginning when they're driving to the place and uh, a few times uh, when they're jogging on the side of the beach and a few things. Uh, sailboat. No, no, actually, no sailboats in this. Um, there's a boat, number three later, but... So, Not a sailboat? No, because sailboats mm. usually represent dreams in Franco's okay. films, and it's a voyage you go on. It's You're crossing a, a barrier. You're going off into another thing, and in this, there's really no dreams. It's very false. There's just things are going on, so he didn't show up. A sailboat. Okay. Uh, and then he even has people with sailboats on their shirt or something. Always try to look for that. Uh, number four, palm trees. Yes, there's plenty of palm trees in this mm-hmm. film. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. No, but he puts a wind sound effect in the very last scene, which is kind of weird. He just throws it in there real kind of heavy. Uh, Why? Because, well, there's the... Um, wasn't it when he was listening to the tape in the car before you hear the talking? There's like... It sounded like birds whistling. Yeah, no, there, there is actually no. I, I, yeah, there is sound on some of the stuff that he's playing. You're right. I didn't think about that. Yeah, there's, there's that stuff too. Um, yeah, yeah, good, good, good call on that. The, uh, mm. the encoded stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're listening to. Um, number six, uh, chained up person. No, nobody's chained up in this, held against their will, against a place like that. Mm. Um, mm. Usually there is though. Uh, seven dance scenes on stage stripping. No, very little nudity in this. Actually, uh, the first nudity. Yeah, and it was only literally nudity. one scene at fifty-five minutes in. Uh, yeah, just and that. Lena's boobs, and that's about barely it. You know, which is very minimal. So, but it's cool. I like that too. As a filmmaker, you're not like forced to do that all the time. Or it's just like, oh, whatever. It's it's not a big yeah. thing. I've done it 150 times well, already. They kept getting interrupted. Yeah, yeah. Coitus interrupti. It's, it's like this is just a whole movie of like, are they going to do it? Are they going to finally do it? Yeah. Uh, no. And actually, I don't know if you found the comedy funny, but I, mm. I actually enjoyed the comedy of it. It's very screwballish, and some of it was maybe hit or miss, but I laughed a few times through it. Not hard or anything, but I, I thought it was funny. It's kind of like in a Three's Company kind of way I kept thinking of when I was watching this for some reason. Yeah, I... I mean, it's not quite like my right, right. type of comedy, but I can definitely see like where the humor is. Definitely right. in like in the absurdity and the ridiculousness of oh, just yeah. the situation, Mistaken identity, and like, not knowing what's going on. This is the epitome of the types of movies where I'm just like, you know, what would have solved this entire problem? Communication. You just took the words right out of my mouth. That was another thing I was going mm-hmm. to say is that. Another thing with the young couples and stuff, communication. Yeah. Everybody in this film speaks a different language. Uh, the Arab guy, they don't understand what he's saying. The German lady, she thinks she's Dracula. And then she goes, well, many morons have called me that. And like, he's basically <laughs> talking down to Lena. And yeah. she's like, you're fucking stupid. Just because like, you're, you know. So. And he speaks to Argentine. She's like, I don't know what he's saying. And, <laughs> kept, and, it's, and also with a young relationship, they don't know how to talk to each other. There's the communication yeah. between the two is, is breaking, right. you know. Well, like, even when the when they pick up the two hitchhikers and they don't immediately, like, ask if the other speaks, you know, Spanish. Right. They just, they're trying to, like, talk in English to each other. Yeah. I know, and then they're like, oh, I don't speak English. And then they're like, oh, do you speak Spanish? Because they start speaking Spanish to each other. Yeah. 
And they're yeah. like, yeah. And they're like, oh, me too. It's like, okay, like, why didn't you just, <laughs> I don't know, try that, I guess. I feel like it would be obvious uh, with accents or whatever. Um, but, yeah, but even, like, the communication between all of the characters, not just, like, the two in the relationship, but, like, um, but I guess at the end, when it comes out that he's a spy, I guess it's kind of, like, intentional that he was trying to get information from them. And right, play, and play and dumb. Playing yeah, dumb. Right. <laughs> And it's good though that they didn't let that on until the very end because, like, right. I was, I was not um, observant of that at all. I didn't know that was going to happen. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I know he was actually a fucking because he pulls the gun on her. You're like, oh, well, you're a fucking dick, dude. You're right. well, Lena. Lena's all right. sad, and, and you actually feel bad for Lena. But going back to what you're saying on the, with that couple is another thing that we forgot that you had pointed out. So they they pick up this couple, and their their car overheats because uh, it's out of water. So they pull over the side of the road. They say, "Hey, we'll we'll go get some water for the car because it's obviously not working." So as soon as they pull off, the spies in the back seat try to jump in the front seat mm. and try to drive away, but the car won't start. And you and you mentioned, "Well, duh, dude, the car's on the side of the road; <laughs> it's not running. Why are you trying to steal the car?" And I literally laughed. think like this is why the cars pulled over and they went to go get water because yeah. the car isn't going to run. Like, <laughs> so now's the time to jump into it and try to drive it when it's stuck. And it's like, why the fuck would you do that? It's fucking so stupid. Right. <laughs> I was laughing about that when you mentioned that. Um, okay, uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Yeah, back to that. Yeah, no no dancing on, there's no strip, strip club sequences, which there's usually quite a bit in his films. Yeah. Uh, number eight, club scenes, dancing in a bar. No, nothing like that. I mean, they were technically dancing. Oh, yeah, there's a dance scene with Lena and, and him doing the tango. Drinking. That's true. But... Yeah, but not in a, a <laughs> not a whole lot. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yes, there's that's true. very few people in this yeah. movie. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yeah, it's nice jazz music. Yeah. Uh, number ten, excessive zooms. No, he no, really zoom I, in a bunch on yeah, this. Yeah, I I don't recall seeing any zooms no. at all. I think most of it was static shots. There's a couple of pan shots, and. I think I noticed one or two handheld shots. Yeah, well, yeah, he he does the handheld in the car from the back seat Mm -hmm. and from the passenger seat on her. Uh, He's in a vehicle facing their car in the beginning when they're driving. I like to imagine when there are shots taken from outside of the car on the hood that the person's laying on the hood of the car with the camera. (laughs) Yeah, this one, I mean, there was some that were pretty damn close, so he was either driving really slow and behind and right right up to the thing, or I was looking at that going, that looks pretty impressive in the beginning. He was having some nice, and he doesn't do like uh, uh, towing shots where it's on a thing, and, you know, that's not even the budget, you know, where you pull the car up on the car, tow, and you put the thing up and drive. Yeah. I mean, shit, that's... He would just get in a car and follow you like we do. Whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's what he does. So it's it's like, that's really good for that scene. Uh, number 11, out of focus shots and everything was good and stuff and through here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12, mirror shots. Yeah, there's a few. Uh, there's a cool one when Lena's in the mirror and she's being all sexy in the in the bathroom. Yeah. And then there's a mirror shot where uh, it's him and uh, the... Uh, the woman in the black bikini they have a scene where they're in the mirror together talking there's two or three mirror shots but it's not a big prevalent thing it doesn't show duality in the film or it doesn't show the other side of the mirror he doesn't use it in a symbolic fashion he just kind of used it as a as a style shot or as an interesting shot in this one 
Uh, number 13, mind control themes. No, there's no uh, secret potion. That, well, there's a potion, but nothing that's... Nobody's under mind control. Uh, 14, magic tongue scenes. No, Lena doesn't get her magic tongue out. Uh, she doesn't run it along people. She doesn't extend it out of her mouth. It stays pretty much in her mouth the whole time, unfortunately. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Number 15, red light. Uh, no, no red light scenes. Uh, 16, sheepskin rug. No. Uh, masturbation with a letter C item. No, that's kind of out of the clue now. That's back in the mm-hmm. 70s. I think I might take that off the list now. Uh, 17, Mad Scientist and Servant. No, there's no Mad Scientist, no Hunchback Servant. You have uh, couples in here, again, the evil couple, which would be uh, um, the princess and the prince, but that's not a Mad Scientist or Servant, but that's the only uh, uh, trope that he has before. before. Uh, 18, Fish Tank Shop. And it's funny, too, back to him, too, actually. Uh, his last name was Red, um, Raddy, which is almost like Radic, and Radic is a name he uses for a couple male and female that are usually kidnapping women or doing evil stuff is the Radix and so it's funny he's a version of Radix in this Um, 18 fish tank shots no fish tank shots I didn't see any fish no nothing like that Uh, 19 talking parrot talking animals no uh, in credits, yes or no? Yes, it says Finn, and it had the uh, yeah. production number, of the the uh, letter or the uh, certificate. Uh, number twenty-one, handwritten notes. That's basically like cheesy. Sometimes he'll, I've seen somewhere it'd be like he'll have a jail, and it'll be like a cardboard mm-hmm. sign with paint that says jail, and you're like, wow, that's <laughs> not a real sign. That's a handwritten sign, or you know, <laughs> a cheesy, you know, it's something really bad. And this, everything looked okay. Mm-hmm. He didn't use any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 22, Spiral Staircase shot. Yeah, there's actually a cool in the hotel yeah. where they're going up that deal and they're looking yeah, down onto it. Yeah, the hotel staircase looks super cool with the lights. Yeah, hanging down. The bulbs hanging down. Big time. Cool. That was fucking badass. Uh, 23, Inept Cops. No, uh, there's Interpol spies and stuff, but there's no police messing up the crime scenes or anything in this film. Mm. Uh, 24, Belly Chains. No, no Belly Chains in this. Mm. Um, number 25, Kinks. I mentioned that one was the countess. Yeah. She said she was a peeping Tom and that she got <laughs> yeah. it when she was a kid and she would hide under the cribs or under the beds and watch her parents. And her alibi for why she was under the bed. <laughs> yeah. And there's always the sexual kinks in this film. So that one I caught, I like, she's like, oh, it's because I was this. And she, she talks about it and she explains it out. That's why I took a note because it was funny. It was like, okay, I got to include yeah. this in here. Um, Okay, uh, number, what was that? Uh, Kings, okay, 25. Uh, 26, uh, great headboards. No, they're mostly in the uh, hotel, and hotels usually don't have really awesome headboards, so uh, there's no grand, cool fucking headboards with radios in them or cool, intricate spirals or anything, just basic shit in this. Uh, 27, fear or desire? Um... I mean, yeah. I think desire, I think. But fear from Lena, maybe, because she's Um, scared all the way through. Well, sure. There's, uh, I think um, they both kind of take their turns of being afraid. Well, there was that point where he was in the bed and and said that he was afraid. Yeah, see, now see. And she felt desire. Yeah. See, and and she's just like, cool, it's done, let's fuck. And that's funny because I kept thinking, oh, it's only desire. But then as we're talking, I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of, you're right, a lot of fear. They're always so scared of the whole movie. Like, they're just fear all the way through. Well, yeah, fear, and know? different kinds of, like, fear. Or, or, like, you know, she's she's feeling fear about her relationship and being worried that it's not going to work out. Yeah. Um, 
she's feeling fear about the stuff that's going on. <laughs> yeah. Like there's See, a bunch of weird crazy stuff. crazy about them and they're, they're yeah. fearful of being tourists and fearful of the new relationship. No, good, good call. Yeah. I think about that. Yeah. A lot of fear. And then to me, I just thought, Oh, the desire, they're all desiring to get this Mariposa to right. there's desire for that. Like, and then of course know. the desire like, with the relationship. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I feel like he doesn't feel a lot of desire, at least doesn't show a lot of desire. And like, it definitely made me feel like, the relationship wasn't going to work out because he right. didn't seem too interested in his wife. Right, it was all just all a, like, bro, it, was all, it was all a disguise. It was all a setup. Like, you're oh, on we're your using honeymoon. This. I know with Lena, who's this like sex goddess. Why type aren't you character. trying <laughs> to have sex with your wife on your honeymoon? <laughs> yeah. Like, where are your priorities, man? Like, there's almost like I I would say like the amount of like affection between them. It was almost like they, they've been together a while. Right. They're like an old married couple where yeah. it's like, oh, not again. And you they know, finally yeah. got married. So so I don't know. I don't know, like, I don't know the backstory yeah. of their relationship, how long they were actually together before they got married. Um, but Well, it seemed like kind of quick because she talks about spilling Coca-Cola on me at the club and... They basically kind of met each other under these interesting circumstances, and then they kind of hurried up and got married. It seemed like it was kind of a fast whirlwind kind of a thing, is what I got from the brief, you know, yeah. brush strokes when they were telling the story at the end, you know. Yeah. And he's like, you spilled Coca-Cola on me in the club, and all the other stuff. Um, okay, 28, acoustic guitar player. Yeah, there's a scene we laugh at. It. I mentioned it when I was watching it to you. He has an acoustic guitar, and he's running that pole across yeah. it making some noise and she's like oh my so beautiful I, like, i've seen i've seen that thing used before i cannot remember the name of it but it is used yeah well for playing the guitar. yeah there's people that do a uh a bottleneck where they'll take a bottle of like a beer bottle and yeah. put on their fingers it's a bottleneck and you can sit and play the blues like a like a a steel um not not a steel drum, but a, a steel pedal. It's like they'll have the it'd be sitting down, and you have your beer bottle. You run across, and you could do a cool stuff like that. Yeah. But he was almost doing it like a noise thing of mm-hmm. just like yeah. I'm an avant garde musician. I'm going to run this pipe against guitar strings, and it's going to make this really weird noise. And it's art, you know, which is kind of like Frank will kind of make fun of himself. Like oh, I'm going to have these girls running naked, and they're vampires, and I'm going to throw blood at the camera, and it symbolizes this, or you know, he's just kind of mm-hmm. doing his funny thing. Which is fun, a nice little in joke about himself there. Uh, number twenty nine, reading a book scene. I don't think anybody in this film read a book. I was trying to think that because um, they're all like talking about stuff, taking pictures, and blah 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 blah. But yeah, I don't think nobody reads a book in the scene. Nothing that caught my yeah. attention. Yeah, no one had a book. Yeah, uh, number finally thirty, uh, pee scene. There's no pee scene, but they talk about diarrhea, which I was laughing about the super diarrhea of the Mariposa too which was the uh, fungus that they gave these people, and they were going to take out the whole Western culture of super diarrhea. <laughs> and the guy on the tape was r- reading it, was talking about how he was going diarrhea and dying from diarrhea. I think that's like peeing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just become so exhausted, you would die, uh, I guess, of, you know. It's uh, the dehydration. Yeah, the dehydration factor yeah. would just be that, but I don't know, so. But yeah, so that's interesting that that was the whole thing that they were searching for was this virus that would basically make people shit their brains out, you know, <laughs> die. So, but uh, yeah, so that was interesting. That was fun. Uh, interesting uh, first Franco film for you, I guess. You know, it's 
actually, as you talk about it, there's actually more to it than when you first saw it because it's about yeah. relationships and new couples and communication. And there's like a lot of cool stuff that if you analyze the film, you're like, oh shit, it's actually more than yeah. just people running around acting stupid and putting that good know. old degree to use. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. I learned something. There you go. So, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. So yeah, so as I say, when I was, before we watch this, I always say, I have a Jess Franco film, I always learn something out of each film, no matter what it is. If you can get something out of it, then it's more than something that's a totally hidden treasure, you know? So yeah, I think I think this was a good film and a fun film to watch. Uh, it's not one of his greatest films, but it's definitely interesting. And, and if you view it under kind of, you know, different lenses and look at it in a different way and enjoy the story and see what's below the surface and kind of read into it a little bit, it makes it definitely more enjoyable, I think. Yeah, I think, like, at one point throughout the movie, I was all like, okay, so when are we going to get to the, how much a spy costs? Exactly. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't, I don't get the connection. But eventually, it all comes together. Yeah, and at the very end, and she, like, looks at the camera and says right. the title, which is kind of funny. I always like that to film when they yeah. do that. It's not always the case, but when they do that. <laughs> so she looks at the camera and break that like, wall, you know. How much does a spy charge? Or, uh, uh. Um, how much does a spy earn? Yeah. So, which is funny. So, she's like, okay, well, now we're married. How much do you make? You know, like, right. well, now I'm going to ask, like, you know, which is Is this funny. beat down car just a ruse? Like, yeah, exactly. Can we actually afford a better honeymoon? <laughs> yeah, which is funny because in the beginning, we, they, they talk about that where they go through their choices and how much money they have and they could do this amount for this place or this many days and stuff. And they're driving the shitty car and it's it's like this nice young couple. They're just starting off. And then in the end, you're like, well, shit, all this was for naught, you know? <laughs> And she yeah. loves that car so much. It's funny. She kisses the car. Oh, I love you. It's like seeing a family member come back. And, you know, <laughs> so funny. So stupid. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. It was cool. Uh, do you have any other final thoughts on how much does a spy earn? Um, gosh, what was the American spy's name? Oh, uh, the lady? The lady with the yeah, gun. Yeah, she, she works for Uncle yeah, Sam. Let me see. You mean the actress's name or the part she plays? I mean both. I guess. Uh, that's, um, um, that is, uh, Analia Ivars, and she plays Marja, the jogger. And she was in Golden Temple Amazons, um, as the lead in that, which was a couple films back. She's, uh... Interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah, she heard a little bit, but yeah. I mean, I, I like how tall she is. Yeah. So you don't typically see... Like taller actresses, um, playing those kinds of roles. I guess I don't know. You yeah, know, and I think, and I think by this tend to pick, you know, small small actresses with dudes that I'm usually taller than. Right. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. So, There's a lot of petite um, women. In, in yeah, because they because they want that that certain look. Um, they want to present a certain image on in the film. Um, so like it was actually like kind of nice to like see her show up and she's just like effectively like just like lifting this dude like she's at the gym. Yeah, I know <laughs> like, she had a bit of her knee and, and she's like strangling like, him and posing with yeah, him. Yeah, and then she's just manhandling him and she's like, "Oh, I'm just like, you know, so into you." Effectively, I don't know. She's pretty hot. Yeah, no, and the image of the film is her with that rifle and it's only for that brief yeah. shot, but like, you know, the poster is like, like that, that drawing and that that's is image. the Rambo. Yeah. Yeah, no, she was cool. She's in her black bikini. She's got this freaking 
bullet belt slung across her and yeah. she's got a fucking gun and she's walking out of this cave yeah and he has her framed in that arch really nice like in that doorway yeah. archway is really a cool scene yeah and he sets her up really and, and she's above everybody as he as he shoots her she's like up above or yeah she's if anything mighty, was you know? gonna read like 80s american action film big time is that yeah <laughs> good, good call that. yeah that like you're saying that like it's important <laughs> that you use that image because it's like that's like a especially 80s like that oh my gosh see that. that reminds me of the scene from inglorious bastards when they are interrogating that german dude okay and the bear the jew bear yeah, yeah, comes yeah. out of the cave right yeah and he's standing there and he's a, has the high ground and yeah which is funny about that someone. the bear coming out of the cave i think yeah, that's how right. said that. yeah. oh that's duh yeah and all this stuff is like you don't see it until you say it and you're like oh duh you know i do that all the time like oh as you're speaking it out you're like realizing yeah, it you know so stuff. it is very cool so yeah no, and, and jess frank was a, a good director and i like showing other filmmakers his films because it's so empowering and it takes away a lot of the ego and stuff of of things and it's just when you just boil down because basically film is just telling a story just tell, telling your story whatever it is no matter how big or small it's all about telling a story and you can tell a story with five bucks or tell a story with five million or five hundred million so you're still telling a story so that's the key yeah. is if you tell a story and if people are entertained by it you and that's all it counts you know so that's i think he did his job on this so i give it a passing grade for sure <laughs> yeah yeah this was a lot of fun yeah i know it's cool thank you for coming on the show and uh i would like to have you on again if you care Heck to do that yeah, I, I am i am down to see another one awesome very cool well buenas noches adios mm-hmm.